0: Imagine you are in a war, but you've been wounded and taken captive. In front and behind you are lines and lines of prisoners bound and marching toward their doom. But you can't see them. There is only darkness. All you can feel is the warm steel of the fetters and the dirt on your skin. All you can hear is the footsteps that are being forced by the clank of a chain. When all of a sudden, a new sound interferes. It's a song of a king whom the enemies fear. It's a feeling of hope that's deeper than skin. It's the words of a poet that speak of his win. It's a symphony of sound that matches the growing intrusion of light all around. The chains loose, the fetters fall, the darkness retreats, and when the light exposes what had been hidden, all that is left is a king, bound with our chains, our dirt, Our darkness led away, but only for a moment until that light came roaring back, that song came streaming in. Those fetters, those chains, that darkness left to bind that sin and shame. Sin, death, defeated. The light has overcome. Jesus is the king that leads us and we follow him from our tombs to his home. Not in chains, but hand in hand back into fellowship with the Creator, back into relationship with Him, we have been reconciled.
1: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this morning. Uh, We thank you for your word. I I pray as we uh, continue on in this series in Romans uh, that we would see everything you want us to see. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let me uh, ask as we kind of get started uh, this morning, who is your favorite villain of all time? A- as you watch movies, as you watch them with your kids, who is your favorite villain? I, I found several uh, lists uh, online of like the favorite kind of villains of all time and kind of far down on the list, it kind of surprised me a little bit because uh, I don't necessarily, this is not someone I would immediately think of, but on the list was Wile e. Coyote, right? <laughs> You probably remember him from the Roverner cartoons, how he'd have the acme dynamite and uh, whatever his plans were, they'd usually end up just kind of blowing in his face. Uh, Not surprising to me, further up on the list, was the Joker uh, from the Batman franchise. The great debate online is who the greatest kind of Joker was. Some people, uh, usually about my age, love Jack Nicholson uh, against the Michael Keaton Batman. Uh, Some that are are younger really love uh, Heath Ledger. Um, some that are a little bit older love Cesar Romero Uh, some that are really, really young uh, love Zach Galifianakis uh, uh, who was the Lego Batman, Uh, one of our family's just favorite movies uh, of of all time honestly, our family loves that movie Uh, but the greatest villain uh, of all time on almost every list that I ever saw any any guesses? Darth Vader Darth Vader uh, on almost every list that I saw, Darth Vader uh, was number one. And I, I have to say that that Star Wars franchise, over the pandemic, we started uh, watching them with our uh, son, Sam, and Darth Vader holds up. Uh, Star, Star Wars holds up with all the CGI technology today and all of the advances and in, in that sort of thing. Darth Vader is still one of the greatest villains ever. And I say that because villains are really fun to watch. They're really colorful. Uh, They have a lot of personality, but most of the time we deeply identify with the hero of the stories. And and you can sometimes even see this in the way that we read uh, the Bible. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, that when you read the story of David and Goliath, you find yourself thinking of yourself as David defeating the giants of life. No one's like, you know who I remind myself of? Goliath, right? I, I say that, but for different reasons, right? No, most people, most people don't say that. I identify with Goliath or the story of Jacob stealing the inheritance from Esau. We identify with Esau and we tend to ask the question, how would I respond to someone who had stolen from me or has been less than honest with me? We don't tend to see ourselves as the thief in that story. Or we read the story of Daniel in the lion's den and we identify with Daniel overcoming very difficult odds. We don't identify with the power hungry king or the hungry lions for that matter, right? And listen, it's okay. We all do this. And and some of it is good and righteous. We want to be the hero. We want to identify as the hero, especially in the lives of the people that we love and care about, in the lives of our family. We all want to be The hero, But I needed to start in this place because in order to understand what Paul is going to teach us today, I need us to take off that hat of always seeing ourselves as the hero. And I need us to see ourselves for a few minutes this morning as the enemy, as the villain, as the scoundrel. All right, let me show you what Paul says here in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, we have been justified through faith. Since we have been justified through faith, we are at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand grace upon grace saying that earlier and we boast in the hope of the glory of God not only see but we also not only so but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance character and character hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the holy spirit whom he has given us you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the, you can underline this, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? Through him, for if while we were, oh, here it is, God's enemies, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through faith, through the death of his Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Hard truth to start this morning. It's gonna turn happier in a minute, but hard truth to start. Because of our sin, we are enemies of God. And culturally, we are going to have a hard time accepting this. You most likely did not come to church today and say, you know what message I wanna hear? I wanna hear about how I'm God's enemy. You probably did not say that this morning. Uh, But while Lego Batman is one of our favorite movies, before Lego Batman, there was just the Lego movie which is an awesome movie uh, as well. But there is a song in that that I think really depicts well our culture's hesitancy to understand this idea that because of our sin, we are God's enemy. And the name of the song is Everything is Awesome. Right? Here's, here's the lyrics on, on the screen for you. Blue skies, bouncy springs, we just named two awesome things. A noble prize, a piece of string. You know what's awesome? Everything. Dogs with fleas, allergies, a book of Greek antiquities. Brand new pants, a very old vest. Awesome items are the best. Trees, frogs, clogs, they're awesome. Rocks, clocks, socks, they're awesome. Figs, jigs, twigs, they're awesome. And here's the line. Everything you see, think, or say is awesome. You just need to know the Bible teaches something different. What the Bible would say is that you, understand this, you are deeply loved. You are deeply loved, but not everything you do, say, or think is awesome, right? That is not true. Because of God's holiness and righteousness and awesomeness, our sin, all right, theologically, our sin places us in an adversarial role to him. We become, because of our sin, the enemy of the story. The word that talks about us being God's enemy, that Greek word, all it means is just adversarial role. That's all it means. And Christianity would teach that we are not enamored with our awesomeness. Christianity teaches that we are enamored with God's awesomeness. And so we worship Him, we bow to Him. We obey him. We reorient our lives around what he says is right and wrong. And culture is trying to peddle this garbage that says God should be enamored with our awesomeness. And what it ends up resulting is is it ends up flipping the script. That instead of me worshiping God, I feel God should be worshiping me. Instead of me obeying God, I feel God should obey me. Instead of me bowing to God, I feel God should bow to me. It is a form of humanism, and you just need to know it is not the gospel. The gospel says, God is great and worthy of praise, and I am loved. You are loved, but we are also sinful. So you can see the argument that Paul is making here is that on the spiritual battlefield, we are the enemies of God. We need to see ourselves to understand this sermon at all. Otherwise, the sermon is just going to seem mean if, you, if we don't understand this that on the spiritual battlefield, we are the enemy. Paul says deserving of wrath. And I think we tend to have this belief that other people are deserving of wrath, but I just made a mistake, right? They're deserving of judgment. They're deserving of unkindness, wrath, whatever you want to say. They're deserving of that because of the wrong that they did. I'm not a sinner. I'm a mistaker, right? That's That's what I am, right? Right? I just made a simple mistake. I want to consider Romans 1 for a minute. Well, let's go back to Romans 1. Here's what Paul writes. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to their depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death, not only so they continue to do these things, but they also approve of those who practice them. Now, here's what I guarantee, because I felt the exact same way. When you read that list, there are things on that list that you would agree are deserving of God's wrath. Maybe you feel that way about someone who would murder someone else. You say, yeah, yeah. See, yeah, yeah. If you take a life, whatever God does is fine. God should do whatever he wants to do. They are deserving of the wrath that come comes their way. Maybe you feel that way about someone who hates God. Someone who just has a deeply angry adversarial relationship to God. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. People that just hate God, whatever God does, I'm I'm on board. Maybe you feel that way about certain kinds of depravity. Like one of the things I struggle with is someone that would hurt kids. You know what I'm saying? Someone that would hurt kids. I'm like, God, whatever, (laughs) whatever you want to do, uh, it, it's fine. We have these categories of, yes, they are deserving of God's justice. They are deserving of God's wrath. They are his enemy. But there are probably things on that list that you don't feel that way about. You might feel that way about disobeying parents. I mean, Paul, <laughs> come on, decaf, dude, right? <laughs> disobeying your parents, everybody does that, Paul. You might feel that way about deceit. Who's never lied before, Paul? I mean, take, take it easy, right? You might feel that way about greed. I mean, on some level, Paul, we're all looking out for ourselves. We're all kind of driven by greed a little bit in, in this world. And we see sin on some level. We see it in them. We fail to see it in ourselves. We have a hard time seeing it in ourselves. And here's why that happens. There's a certain amount of holy in all of us. And there's a certain amount of sin in all of us. And sometimes that certain amount of holy in all of us causes us to see sin in them, but to to see the need for God's wrath in them, but not to see it in me at all. And Paul is trying to teach us it's in all of us. You might have had the same reaction to Romans 1 that I did. It's like, man, Paul, if you really put this way of thinking on every single person Every single person is going to be deserving of God's wrath, Paul. You described every human being that's ever lived. Every single person would be deserving of God's wrath if we initiate this standard across the board. And if you listen very, very carefully, you can hear Paul slow clapping. <laughs> right? You got it. Yes absolutely. That is exactly the point. God is holy and perfect and righteous. He must deal with sin. God does not have a little bit of holy in him like you and I have. God has the whole package, the whole deal, the whole amount of holiness. And so he, as a part of his character, must deal with sin in them. He must deal with sin in us. And Scott handled it so well last week that we have been justified through grace You see this language all throughout Romans. We have been saved. We are at peace. We have been reconciled. That our sin placed us in this adversarial role to God. Through our sin, we became his enemy. But Jesus, through the cross and by his grace, God has made his enemies his friends. Because of grace, you are a friend of God through Jesus. The image is of of a battlefield. It's a popular image that you'll see in movies all the time. But there comes a point in the battlefield where the hero of the story is like, I've had all I can take. I'm done. I'm going to end this, right? And the music starts at a crescendo. And the camera pans down so that you can see the things the way the hero sees them. And he walks slow motion through the battlefield with axe in hand or gun or whatever, music playing. And he kills one after enemy after another until there's either a retreat or just everybody's laid decimated. You've seen this movie, right? It makes a great movie. It is not the gospel. The gospel of good news is that God was ready to end the battle. And instead of killing his enemies, he sent his son. His one and only son whom he loved. And he didn't kill all of his enemies. Instead, his son gave his own life so that we could be saved, so that we could be justified, so that we could be made right, so that we could be reconciled with God. And we were no longer his enemies, but instead we are his friends. You see, the gospel, it is more than a get-out-of-hell-free card. It is not meant to be overly consumed with the next life. It is meant to be consumed with this idea that I am reconciled to God. My position has changed. I'm no longer his enemy. Now I am his friend, and I'm free to know him and worship him and follow him and be transformed by him. Mark, one of the guys that I'm preaching with in this series, he's a pastor down in Joplin. He said, justification takes care of your legal problem with sin. But reconciliation answers your your relational need to be close to the one with whom you're in battle. And that is absolutely a beautiful image of what Christ has done. I was talking to Cheryl, my wife, this week about the message, and we, we were talking about how sometimes you'll see depicted in a show or a movie this idea that someone does something extraordinary for someone in their family. They bail them out or they help them out in some profound way, and they'll say, hey, 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 i you know, they're just kind of exasperated with the person, and they'll say, I did this for you, uh, I took care of this for you, but we're done now, all right, this is the last thing I'm doing for you, we're done, I never want to hear from you again, and the gospel says, that's again, not the gospel, because the gospel says that our God reached out through Jesus, and he didn't say, I'm done with you, he said, you were my enemies, but now I want you to be my friend, and because of the work of Jesus on the cross, you are no longer his enemy. I am no longer his enemy. But we are forgiven, we are justified, and we are reconciled. We are reconciled. Our relationship with God that we were created to have is restored and made intact in this life and in the next. And so this leads us to so many places. One is boasting. I think we boast in God, right? We don't boast in ourselves, right? No one's cheering for the enemy, right? We don't boast in ourselves. Uh, but we, there's a sense of celebration and worship and awe directed at God and, and at his son Jesus for what he did. We are at peace, right? I, I believe to not be settled with God is to not be settled in life. And to be settled with God is to have a sense of peace. So we are at peace. Knowing that our relationship with God is intact. And he's in control. He is for us. He has a plan. He is greater than anything we might face. And he is our friend. Leads to peace. We are on mission. Knowing that reconciliation with God is possible through Jesus. Peace with God is possible through Jesus. So we are on this mission through our church to make people aware of that. That maybe wonder, am I okay with God? Am I at peace with God? What's gonna happen when I die? People are asking those big questions. Yeah, peace with God is possible. Reconciliation with God is possible. You were his enemy, but you can be his friend through Jesus. And this news, it is more important than an election, it is more important than world events, it is more important than anything. Peace with God is available to you. Reconciliation is available to you through the work of Jesus on the cross. And we have hope, knowing that we are reconciled now in this imperfect place where hurricanes hit and difficulties come. In this imperfect place, we are at peace. And someday we'll be reconciled in heaven in a place of perfection where peace will absolutely reign. So I would think this theology, that we serve this God, who makes his enemies, his friends. That this extraordinary news of the gospel, I think this would have a profound impact on several things in our life. Politics. Let's talk politics for a minute. If you enjoy politics, that's great. It's good to enjoy politics. It is not great to identify your fellow man as an enemy that needs to be destroyed. Because we serve a God who entered into the battlefield and could have destroyed us. He could have. He would have been well within his rights to destroy humanity, but instead he reconciled us. So in the battlefields of our life, like politics, we are following his example, and we are not striving for the destruction of our fellow man, but instead we are striving for reconciliation in all things. We are striving to make our enemies our friends. World events. As various conflicts arise in our world, we are on our knees praying, not just for victory. We don't just pray for victory. We're praying for the gospel of reconciliation to invade those nations. That they might see Jesus, and they might see what Jesus did for them, to reconcile them back to God. And how God made a path for them to no longer be his enemy, but his friend. And we pray that they would see Jesus, and that not just victory would come, but reconciliation would come. It changes the way we pray for world events. Personal relationships. In every personal relationship, we have conflicts and these battles arise. It's a reminder that we are called to this ministry of reconciliation because it's the example that Jesus set. And we strive for peace. We strive to make people who we view as our enemies, we strive for a path forward in order to make them our friends. And while all of those things are true, and I stand by all of them, right. I try to do that with my sermons, right? Stand by it all. But the example that Paul gives that I want to drill down on just a little bit with you, the the idea that Paul drills down on applies to suffering. That this idea of reconciliation with God, that he makes his enemies his friend, that you are now a friend of God, it impacts the way we see suffering. Listen, things were not great in Rome. They had no idea how much they were going to need to hear this message Paul was giving them. A few years after Paul wrote the book of Romans, a huge fire broke out in Rome, destroyed nearly everything. And most historians now believe that Nero, who was emperor at the time, that Nero started that fire that destroyed the whole city. But to divert attention away from his role in that fire, Nero pointed the finger at Christianity, at the Christians living in Rome. And this started what became known as the great persecution of Rome against Christians. And listen, if you are a Christian living in Rome at the time, it was a horrific time to be a Christian. They were crucified. They were beheaded. They were covered in blood blood and fed to dogs. They were lit on fire to bring light to Nero's gardens. It was a very difficult time to be a Christian living in Rome. And what happens when we suffer what happens to a lot of people is they forget the gospel when it comes to suffering. And so they start to suffer and they begin to say things like, I don't think I'm God's friend. I don't think God, I don't think God considers me his friend if he's letting me go through this. I must not be his friend. I am his enemy. And maybe you've even heard a friend say this before. I, God, God, God doesn't love me. Look what he's allowing me to go through. Why would he allow me to go through this? And it's in these moments of suffering that we forget the gospel. We're like, am I really his friend? Am I really? And today I want us to drill down on the gospel and I want us to be reminded that through the cross, you are more loved than you can imagine and you absolutely are God's friend. He sent his son to die for us, to reconcile us back to him. We are his friend. And if you can remember that in times of deep suffering and sorrow, it can allow us. What Paul is teaching us is that if you can remember the gospel and that you are his friend. You are not his enemy. You are his friend. If you can remember that in times of suffering, here's what's gonna happen: you will see your suffering in a whole new light. Let's read again what Paul says. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So Paul is drilling down on this. You're justified, you're reconciled, you're forgiven, you're no longer his enemy, you are loved. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, we also glory in our sufferings. Paul you're going to see your sufferings when you remember that God loves you. He doesn't hate you. He loves you. And he sent his son for you. You're going to see your sufferings in this new perspective. Not only so, we glory in our sufferings. Paul, are you crazy? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So if you're here this morning and you are suffering, I just want to kind of challenge maybe some assumptions that you have. And I want to encourage you to maybe buy into some new assumptions. So for instance, what if we operated out of an assumption that we are reconciled to God, he made us his friends because he loves us. What if in the midst of your suffering, you're asking these questions, does he love me, does he love me, does he love me? And today, you just need to be reminded of the gospel and to be reminded that you are more loved than you can imagine and you are not his enemy, you are his friend. And what if we started to operate out of that assumption? What if we operated out of the assumption that God is on the same page with you, actually, when it comes to hope and when it comes to suffering? A lot of times we think, man, I just wish this suffering would end. I wish it was over. Why on earth is there suffering in the world? And God's like, I'm on the same page with you. Someday God's going to give a wink and a nod to Jesus and he's going to return to earth with fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth and he's going to destroy sin and death and Satan and disease and all of this stuff and he's going to take us to a place to live forever with him that is perfect. Someday. He's on the same page with you with suffering. He hates it. Someday it's going to end but that reality is not today. That's someday. So what if we operated out of the assumption that, like, I believe something about suffering that God doesn't believe? What if you actually are on the same page with him? And what if we operated out of the assumption that while we wait for that day, that he has given us through faith, through reconciliation, everything we need to make it through the season we're in? What if we operated out of the assumption that we are not alone, we are his friend? And God treats his friends so well. And God loves his friends. And he's with his friends. And he's going to give us everything we need to make it through the season we're in. This hardship, this difficulty, this suffering. He's going to be with you. And what if we operated under the assumption that God, who loves us, could do something really good and really beautiful in our suffering? This is Paul's teaching. He wrote this book of Romans, and let me tell you, it's just a couple years away. They had no idea this really ugly thing that was coming for them. They had no idea the ugliness that was about to ensue in in Rome. And they had no idea what that God was going to do in this ugly time, that God was going to do this really beautiful thing. But in order to see the beautiful thing that God was doing, They had to remember the gospel and they had to remember that he loves them and doesn't hate them and he's with them and and they're his friend, not his enemy. See, I think that when we assume all of the things that I mentioned, that he loves us, he's reconciled us, all of these things, I think it gives us freedom to begin to see our suffering in the way that Paul describes here. Paul says we glory in it. What he means is that we boast in what God is doing in and through our suffering. We don't revel in it. We don't love for it. We don't plead God for it. We're not crazy people. We're Christians, right? Right? So we're not insane. Right? So we don't revel in it. That would be weird. But we identify and we glory in the idea that God is doing something in and through it. Right? And then Paul says, one of the beautiful things that God does in suffering is, it begins as we remember the gospel, it produces perseverance. And make no mistake about it, grit is a really good attribute to have. We need more grit and determination and stick-to-itiveness because life requires grit. Right? There's a line in that Lego Batman movie I have referenced where it's like, life doesn't give you seatbelts, and it's true, right? Right? Life requires grit because hardship comes. And perseverance produces character. When we develop that grit, we start to see character develop that can only really be refined in the fire. Attributes like honesty and work ethic and nobility and love, these are refined by fire. And these, this character then produces hope. And hope comes when we silence the message of suffering that I must not be his friend. He must not love me. We silence the voice of suffering. And we allow the gospel and we allow Jesus to scream a bigger truth to us. And no, I'm his friend. He loves me. He's in agreement with me that someday this is going to end. Right? He's in agreement on that. Uh, and someday Jesus is going to return. And, and that, that he's given me everything I need to make it through the day. Hope comes when we remember that we are actually reconciled to him. And he loves us. And we're not alone. We are not weak. You are not weak, but you are empowered. He's doing something good in our mess. And one day he will redeem all things. But it starts by not allowing suffering to lie to us. Suffering can be a real liar. It can. And it whispers to us how loved are we. You are unloved. It whispers these negative, awful truths. The gospel tells a different story. You are more loved than you know. You were his enemy, but through Jesus, you are his friend. And he loves you very much, and he's with you every step of the way. And someday he will return. But until then, we allow our suffering to produce character and perseverance and increase faith. And God is going to do something beautiful in the ugliness, just like he did in Rome, just like he's done in my life, just like he's done in your life. A hundred people could tell a story this morning of how God did something beautiful in their mess, because it's what he does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. And I want to pray that we would remember that we are reconciled to you. Sometimes in the midst of suffering, we begin to believe these lies about your love. And I want to pray this morning, your gospel of grace, your good news, would shout above our suffering and remind us that we are reconciled to you. You love us. You are with us. You haven't turned your back on us. We are your friends. And we're grateful for that. We're grateful that you created a way for us to change positions, that we were your enemy and now we're your friend. What an amazing thing that you do. And so as we receive communion this morning, may we remember your gospel of grace. May we remember that we are your friends and that you love us and you're with us. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We are going to receive communion together right now to allow the shouting of the gospel to become greater than the whisper of our suffering. All right? That's how I want to phrase this time right now. Allow this message of the gospel to shout to you that you are his friend, you have been reconciled, you are loved, he is with you, he is empowering you, he gives you joy, hope, and peace in your suffering, and he's going to do something beautiful in your situation. Allow the truths of the gospel to shout what has maybe been, maybe needs to override the whisper of a suffering. And so we're going to receive communion right now, and it's just an opportunity for you to reflect on the gospel of good news, how you're justified and reconciled and and made right, and then I'll come back up after we receive the two cups, and we'll receive it all together as a church family. His body given for you, his blood poured out. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that we have been reconciled to you, that you make your God who makes your enemies your friend. And that is an amazing, beautiful truth. And we're grateful for it. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. If you guys want to take a minute and pull out your uh, bulletin, uh, we're going to do our uh, elder vote right now. And um, uh, we have our kind of uh, normal congregational offer- officers at the bottom of the page. Um, and uh, in addition to that, if you need a ballot, go ahead and raise your hand, by the way. If, uh, they're in your bulletin, but if you need one. Um, and at the bottom of the page is uh, our normal uh, officers, uh, chairman of the congregation will be Travis again. He's done it for a couple terms now. Uh, Vice Chairman James Elhart and Treasurer Roger. Uh, and then uh, new elders is uh, Jason Wiggard. Uh, if you want to just kind of lift your hand, Jason, or stand. All right. Um, and then Travis White uh, up here in the front is being reaffirmed. And so uh, we're very excited to present these men to you. Um, and uh, if you'll go ahead and fill out the ballot uh, the way we ask is if you're doing an affirmation uh, to, you can just kind of put yes if uh, you have a no that, that you want to discuss uh, we've had this happen a couple times over the years but we are going to need a name all right, on that so, um, so we can contact you and talk to you so if you wish to discuss something uh, with our eldership uh, we will be in touch with you over the course of the next week honestly on that so um, be, be sure to put your name on that uh, go ahead and fill those out Move them to the center aisle. Uh, Our ushers will pick those up. And if you want to just give like two, three minutes here, and then we'll do our final song. All right? God bless you guys. Have a great week.